Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808. And today we have on a very special guest to talk on a very special 90s album. Joining us is writer, journalist, and founder of the brilliant Cabbages newsletter, as well as producer and co presenter of the Cabbages podcast. We've got Gary Suarez in the house. How are you doing, Gary, man? I'm great. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good, uh, mate. All the better for having you on, man. I've I've uh, had this locked in for like for a minute. I've been like, yeah, I can't wait to have you on. And I love your work and the newsletter is amazing. And just to sit here and just talk about a bit of music with you and also, you know, about an album that a lot of people have talked about generally already, I feel. Cool Keith, Dr. Doom's First Come, First Served from 99. But before we dive in, I've got to ask you what I ask mm. everyone who comes on. Gary, what's the least hip hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours, my friend? Other than agree to be on a podcast, um, <laughs> okay, you win. Yeah. I think it's I think it's to drink this, which is an Amaro soda. Nice, uh, quite nice. Uh, okay, Amaro Club. I'm not endorsing it. I, they're not paying me anything, but <laughs> it was in the fridge. You know, we we have we yeah. typically have some good stuff in the fridge, and you know, the time difference between when we're recording this and where mm. I am, it's like it's you know two in the afternoon here. Mm-mm-mm. So I'm not quite at that point of the day where I can you know start gobbling edibles and, uh, <laughs> and drinking tequila. So uh, a nice non-alcoholic beverage, mm. Amaro-based beverage as well. Amaro, nice. I like that. Okay, I like the fact that you went with uh, the edibles later on in the day. I think sometimes in, earlier in the day. They also pose quite a good, uh, well, obstacle course generally throughout your throughout your day. But yeah, they're not. I'm not. I've never found substances to be conducive to my work mm. in any way, shape, or form. So yeah, uh, I do all my substances after the work is done. <laughs> I like that. Okay, Gary, I love that. Well, Gary, you when, when we talked about like doing a well, this podcast and we talk about what albums we would like to talk about. I gave you a little bit of a shortlist because this was kind of a bit of like a, is this a hidden gem album? It might be a little bit to a few of the listeners out there, but also for a lot of seasoned heads, it clearly isn't. It's a, it's a class, cult classic, I would say, or, or a classic. So I just really wanted to know what made you pick this one out and why why Cool Keith was an artist you were interested in talking about generally. I mean, this is a special record and it's probably the first thing you're really talking about. Like there are a lot of conversations that happen and I think that's great about kind of 90s hip hop albums. And I know that's a focus on, on your show. And you, mm. you've done a lot of episodes about that. You talk to some great people. And Cool Keith is often harder to pin down. People do get to interview him. You know, I've gotten to speak to him in the past year, mm-hmm. which is great for the newsletter. And others uh, have gotten him over the years in various times. But like when this album came out, you know, in 1999, it was such a it was such a great opportunity for for journalists to get into the head of somebody who over the years became harder and harder to pin down. And that's because he had that, you know, roughhouse Sony Columbia deal Mm. uh, for the Black Elvis project. And because of that, he did interviews. And so for me, it's interesting to go back to this record, not just as a listener, but as a writer, as a music journalist, to be able to say, okay, like I can get context on this. Mm. Whereas like some of the later stuff that he's done, he's less inclined to be doing an interview. He does a lot of stuff that's just kind of, you give him beats, he sends you back some some vocal, some verses, and that's it. Mm. And he's washes his hands of it you know it's it's the nature of the beast but he's very open at this point in his career in 1999 Mm. and he's very available or comparatively so and so when you have an album like this which is like kind of i would use cult classic i think is probably the best way to yeah 
that way we can really hedge there. And say yeah, it's yeah, cool. yeah. Because it didn't sell a ton of records. Like it's mm-hmm. not. Let's not pretend that it is. That it's in uh, hearts and minds and homes and record collections across yeah, the country. Like for it's, sure. it's not his best selling record, and it never would be. Mm-hmm. But it's a cult classic because a lot of people swear by it. Mm-hmm. Although it is a record that isn't you know necessarily universally beloved. So mm-hmm. it falls within this sweet period of music for him, and I think it's uh, it's one of my favorites of his catalog. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's my favorite from that period because my favorite from that period is Matthew, and always will be Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Matthew is just a, a devastating record, and it's like it's weirdly focused on one type of thing that he does incredibly well, which he does in this record too, yeah, yeah. which is shit talking other rappers in the industry. Yes. And so I love that aspect of this record, but this yeah. is that like when in 1999, this comes out and, you know, I'm and at that point, I'm like 20 years old. Mm. So it's like horrorcore, very interesting to me coming off of, you know, being a kid listening to Gravediggers, you know, yeah. and a record where he like a record like this, where like he disses the insane clown posse. So I'm like, already, I love it. <laughs> I, mean, so, I know I'm, I'm jumping in, but the point is like, yeah. there's so much to this record mm. and there's so many layers and levels to go through with it yeah that on the list that you sent me it's like well i have to talk about this one I yeah have, i can't <laughs> lose the opportunity to talk about first come first serve yeah that's really interesting man because just coming from a shared experience i don't remember having that shared experience as much as you you have there so my experience of it was this is the first ever cool keith thing i ever heard apart from smack my bitch up by prodigy i mean and i i knew he was like sampled on that but that was the biggest thing i'd ever really listened to ultramagnetic mcs and this was the first thing and i was like this guy's incredible like and i'd listened to him after i heard doom so it was like oh my god it's something that i can kind of i'd already been acclimatized to weird sounds you know space hip-hop or or that just weird where this album goes is is like from the marshes to space you know wherever then going back ultramagnetic mcs became a really fascinating group to me to breathe this thing that made this wow where, what was the genesis so for you where did ultramagnetic mc stand and cool keith stand before this album hit like what were you listening to of his that really got you before were you a dr octagon like massive fan and stuff like that or what's wild about cool keith fandom is the entry points are are often very universal it's often like octagon or yeah. you're a bit older and it's ultramagnetic and i heard ultramagnetic i mean critical beatdowns like i grew up in new york and so like this was music that I heard. I grew up where hip hop was was happening here in Queens. Obviously, obviously shout out to the Bronx for for Cool Keith and bringing us Ultra Magnetic. But uh so I was familiar but I wasn't like a die hard Cool Keith fan at that point. I wasn't like understanding who was in the Ultra Magnetic and Seas in 1989. Mm. But by the time the late 90s hit and I was doing I was spending most of my disposable income on music. Mm. And going to record stores like you don't just walk past the cover for first come first serve <laughs> you see that and you go oh oh that that's something i need to i need to pick this up <laughs> and that's what happened and, that, and that, that's yeah. that what i'm trying to say with that is that that's an interesting entry point for him because if you had not been an octagon first mm. and been indoctrinated into this idea of the combination of Dan the Automator, Hubert, and Keith is this like holy trinity. Mm. And your first real experience with identifying cool Keith is a project like this, then you lose some of, I think, the bias that comes in. And I, I do hope we get to talk a bit about that. But like yeah. there's a bias among those who kind of came in from the octagon angle and sort of like defined him as the octagon person because everything he did really post that, including mm. this record is like 
a defense of that. And of course, there's nothing more more poignant than opening first come first serve with Doctor Doom mm. killing Doctor Octagon in the first like minute and a half. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, great. Yeah, we've just. I mean, what's more poetic and poignant than that? <laughs> so, so was this bias in like? Okay, so it's in circles like anecdotally, like people are talking, and it's in those. But was it was there a bias in like writing in rap journalism? Were people like genuinely a bit more like Octagon like bias in that then? At that time, well, but, well, Octagon was such a well-received record. It was mm. so well-received, and it is. It, it went from kind of the cult classic to because it got picked up by DreamWorks for distribution, it got yeah. into more hands, mm. and so you end up with this situation where it's it's how people think of Cool Keith. Mm. They think of him that way, and you know, two and a half decades later, people still think of Cool Keith as a rapper who raps about space science, mm. weird gynecology, space science, and it's yeah. like. No, and if you if you listen to records like First Come First Serve, mm. you can see him actively fighting against that stereotype. Like mm. he's already feeling the pressure of that, mm. and he's bored with it. In the same way that he was, he didn't want to keep doing what he did in Ultramagnetic mm. when he came to start doing a solo career. If you like, you listen to records like Sex Style. Yeah. It's like like you know, Sex Style is him being himself, mm. and who he is is a you know, a pretty extreme pervert. Yeah. And that's, that's, he's just saying it plainly. Yeah. And if you go see him, if you go see him live mm. now, as I've seen him live over the, over a number of times over the past few years, mm. like he much prefers that mode, the sex style mode, he will show up. There will be some, some ladies with him. Mm. It's a thing. Yeah. So he's been recoiling and kind of bristling against this categorization of himself pretty much since Octagon hit. And so I find it's a bias that happens among fans. And, and unfortunately, it sometimes happens with producers who work with him uh, on these projects over the years where like they ask him for a space project and he's just like, oh, have to wait. and I, when I interviewed him last year for, for the newsletter, he was pretty, uh, he was pretty much making the same argument still. Like he hates that he's been pigeonholed in this way. Mm. And he wants people to understand that he is a human being back. But when this album hit, it was more about, I can do more things than, than just rap about space. Yes. I can do more things than this rap about rap, about rap in the, in the octagon mode. That's a character. Mm. And now I can do something totally different. Yeah. With sex style, with first come first serve mm. with Matthew, with, you know, diesel truckers, best of illusion. Yeah. So on and so forth. Yeah. Hey, what's up? This is Black Thought, and you are now rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, 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 yo. This is Stretch Armstrong. Ooh-wee. My name is Bobby Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. You're now listening to Crate 808. Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Prince Paul, and you're rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, it's EV Evidence, Dilated Peoples. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast, my favorite shit. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York, and you're checking out the Crate Great 808 podcast, real hip hop. It's really interesting because I feel like it's just a character. It's expression, isn't it? It's, this is art that we're talking about at the end of the day. And it's just kind of just a different expression of himself is on these kind of projects. And I listened to Doctor Doom 2 and, and all, all that and, and the, the later ones as well. And to be fair, I thought they were quite good extensions of, of the th- realm, you know, that he builds, this world that he's built. 
I don't want to be too reductive about this album because there's actually a lot of even look at you can look at it a lot of different ways. First of all, if you look at it in a social political way of where he's come from, and he's making it almost I don't know how you felt at that time because at the time I didn't really see it as absolutely massively gratuitous until I got a bit older, and then I was of course the stuff I was brought up on was really you know fed for MTV, really like fed for like um, gratuity would get excess, excess would really get me. Seeing this, it's all, he is doing that, but it's. Almost like he's just doing a parody of it all. It's almost like he's saying all these killings and stuff. I'm just going to take it to a level which is so fantastical, and that's where I I loved this. Is where it was like he built this world that I'd never explored before, and it was just like wow, it's crazy. And what do you think then about the album? Like if you look at it, if you listen to it now, age the best. Like do you think I have this category to age the best, but very loose. Like has there been any moments where you've been like, damn that that if that landed today, or even you know that actually hits me more today than it did before? Has there been anything on this album that's got you like that? I mean, it's funny because I, I, this is an album that I've revisited a lot over the years. Like I, I've gone back to multiple times and now more recently, obviously in, in advance of this conversation. And it's just like, it's clear that there's parts of, of what he was doing. He wasn't necessarily parodying the commercial stuff, mm. but finding his way around it. So he understood repetition. Like if you think about I Run Rap, yeah. like there's, wow. like, the, I'm the man of the hour watching girls taking a shower. He repeats that. Yeah. It's not a hook you're going to hear on the radio. It's yeah. not Puff, It's not the Puff Daddy stuff that he was kind of railing against, but also mm. somewhat of a secret admirer of that's that sort of style. Yeah. You know, there's an interview with Cutmaster Kurt from a few years back that I found very elucidating. And in that, he kind of reveals that he always saw that Keith had this duality where he wanted to be on the radio. He wanted to be that, but he also didn't want to do it the way that all these other folks did in this kind of sleazy, underhanded payola sort of way. Yeah. So I think when you get some of these, like, dare I say, hookier moments on this record, it's sort of him trying to feel around for that. He is yeah. sort of thinking about it. But again, like, and I should also point out one of the other really interesting things from the interview that I just cited with Cutmaster Kurt mm. uh, is that they made this record in a week. So it's like they did not. Wow. This is not like a long process. This is not the automator yeah. takes the octagon demos and reworks them. This is them like in a week, basically making a fuck you record <laughs> to Roughhouse for sitting on Black Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. For, for trying to shelve Black Elvis. Wow, that's crazy in a week. So how did you find Keith when you interviewed him? Just out of interest, by the way, because I know you said he was kind of already talking about that and he's not too happy about like being categorized, but generally as a person, like how did you find him just to interview? Like, I mean, you're talking to an amazing artist. You're talking to somebody who is who is like a prolific artist, who's a creative person, who is a nonstop creator. Mm -hmm. And whether or not we like everything he does or it, it connects, he is genuine and interested and down and down to earth even if he is quite chatty, yeah. repeats himself, fixates on certain things. Like one of the big things that came out in that conversation was his complete distaste for the the Dr. Octagon reunion record from a couple of years back. Right, yeah. Where he basically felt like Automator got his participation, recorded his stuff, and then completely reworked the tracks. And he hates how that record came out. And he doesn't like how it was presented. Mm -hmm. And so he has real problems with it. And he kind of was, that was kind of a, he really ground, ground down that point with me, which mm -hmm. I appreciated because it, it gave me some insight. And obviously mm -hmm. for those who, you know, admire the Octagon project, 
they could get an understanding of why he had such an issue with yeah. it. So I found it to be a fantastic interview. We spoke for about an hour. I He could have spoke. For, I had another thing afterwards. I had, unfortunately, I had scheduled oh, too many things next to each other. We could have talked for two without any, uh, without anything. Like he was not, it was no question. He was unafraid to talk about, mm. and he was uh, happy to just uh, be able to speak his mind. Well, that's really about cool Keith, right? Like, I know this is a bit of a abstract question, so maybe there's not a real answer to it really, no. but in the rap, kind of universe what space does he occupy because he kind of is a really like outstanding talent like there isn't a i don't know i can talk about ultramagnetic mcs and maybe like think yeah i can see what space they were coming from and going to but with keith it's very like you said earlier at the top really hard to nail down i feel yeah i mean the, the thing to know about keith is that like what he was doing when he was doing it back in the 80s was exceptional what he was doing back in the 90s was pioneering like you don't get Eminem really without Cool Keith. You don't get a lot of these artists hmm. who came in in his wake and kind of thrived off of his 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 mode. You know, like the, this thing really in terms of in terms of attitude is the attitude about being anti industry on record. And plenty of indie you know MCs back in those days would make a little snipe at things, a little snipe at things here and there on record, or they would say something in an interview. And it was such like, you know, it was it, a lot of it was snobby bullshit, but it was also like, if you've been burned by the industry, like you had a record deal and then you got fucked and now you're like, well, now I'm independent. So, you know, well, this is all bullshit. You know, there's that, but like Cool Keith raged against it in a way that like was fun to listen to and entertaining. I mean, there was a level of humor in there. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and I think that humor had existed in hip hop. I recently went back and it's funny enough, like I think it was the years 1989 and there was when, when shock G passed, I went back and I Humpty Dance is 1989. And that first yeah, sex back at digital underground's debut is 1989. And I realized how many humor based hip hop songs, singles, big songs mm. happened that year. Interesting. And so humor had a Genesis mm. humor and hip hop in a really, in, in quite a, a public commercial way mm. happened in 1988. Obviously there's things before that. I'm not yeah. going to pretend like there wasn't stuff before, but yeah. that year was like, that was the year of like funky Cole Medina. That's, yeah. that's like, that's the year like of like. Is that Fresh uh, Prince? Yeah. Fresh I mean, you, I think Fresh Prince, I think you might have, I think the, it was 1990 is he's the DJ. Uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 89, you had like tons of records that were that were kind of playing at that and i feel like keith maintained that spirit after a shift in fact in new york mm. a shift where a lot of new york rappers were focusing more on speaking the truth of what's happening in their communities mm. speaking to their bona fides speaking to them being dealers hustlers gangsters mm. like which is fine keith however was who he is who he was and is who he is mm. and I think we get real some real insight into who he is on this album in particular. Yeah. Uh, there's a few tracks where he really gets autobiographical. But what I think happened is that he maintained that that presence mm. that when if you were a kid in 1989 and you heard those funny songs, yeah. you saw the digital underground video and saw Humpty Hump on TV, like yeah. you connected to, even if you respect what Jay-Z was doing, but you were a kid from the Midwest and had no no context for it. Or when you obviously you thought Biggie was amazing and you and you loved what he did, but like you didn't understand it. You'd never been to these neighborhoods. You had no connection to this stuff. You didn't yeah. grow up where these grew up. Cool Keith, even if he's talking wild bullshit, it's about roaches and rats. Yeah. And and, 
and and poisoning your your, <laughs> your beverages. You're like yeah. whatever he's doing, you're like, well, yeah. oh, I understand that. I can connect yeah. to that. It's because there's a genesis that exists in the mainstreaming of humor, humor-based hip hop, not like novelty mm. songs or jokey songs. Exactly. But songs that depended on humor mm. to drive the narrative. Bismarcky is just a friend. Mm-hmm. Things yeah. like that. Like, yeah. These are amazing because they're funny. And I think Cool Keith maintained that through through this and beyond. Yeah, I'm, I'm dueling with that, the horror call that you talked about earlier as well. So that, yeah. that that I don't know where that had really started, but for me, you're talking Grave Diggers, you're talking all that as well, maybe a bit of Scarface, that early stuff was quite quite like that. And then, yeah, I remember this was one of them first ones where after a while I was like, this is horror core, but these are bangers, like these tracks, the production on them, and I don't want to go too arty-farty right into the production of it all, but like I said earlier, it's like, music i'd never heard as in it was like a squelching uh, uh, like that then dull you know the first thing that after he's killed doom and the first track no chorus like the the horns the flat horns they use on that and mm. i was like, i yes it's horrorcore yes I, but you can't even put it to that because if this came on in one of the underground clubs in london we'd all just be like oh my god like this is a unbelievable neck breaker right now so i think it played on all these different levels for me the fact that he made it in a week is just crazy to me that's crazy Yo, 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 just interrupting this episode to give you a quick update on our plans for 2021. But before I do, just remember to subscribe on YouTube and like this video. Also, get involved in the comments. We always have some dope takes on there. So shout out to people that are getting involved. We love reading them. And hopefully some more of you guys can get on there and we'll shout you out on the episodes coming up. Now, on to 2021. We here at Crate 808 are setting up a Patreon where for the price of a pint or a coffee every month, we'll be bringing you even more dope hip-hop episodes. Simply go to crate808.com subscribe to the newsletter you'll get all the updates on our plans but as a taster each month we're thinking of bringing you 90s rap hidden gem album reviews that you can vote for so if you enjoy people like Master Ace Diamond D The Lynch Mob Paris Big Noid Blase Blase we'll be doing a lot more of those we're going to do our Why I Love series the MF Doom and Jade Diller editions each month we'll bring on a guest and dig into why they love a certain Doom or JD track and then test that love how deep is that love next up we Tang Chronicles Ghostface Killer Edition. We're aiming here, I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but we're aiming to go through every solo Woo project and we're going to start with Ghostface catalogue. So we're going to go in, we're going to talk about the music, we're going to talk about the fashion sense and just some of the amazing bars he's dropped in that career. And uh, the Griselda Marathon, I want to do it, I want to do it. If we get enough patrons, we're going to do it. We're going to go through every single Griselda project and really let's dive in, yeah? So get involved. Hit up crate808.com, subscribe to the newsletter as well as the YouTube and the podcast. Now, Back to the episode. But yeah, no, you were talking there about roaches, right? I listened to a interview he did with Stretch and Bobito back in the day. I don't know if you've heard this interview he did. Not sure I have. But he talked about roaches. So it's almost like I think Bob's a little bit like um trying to do two things at once, maybe because it's live. And Keith is there and Keith's talking and he just goes, um, you know what? That he's talking about the roaches, obviously, in this and, and I think there's a track where he kills a roach, puts it on mm-hmm. a piece of paper and kills the roach, that one. And he was like, Yeah, like I did that. Like as a kid, I pulled the legs off, put the roach's body there came back and it had gone and he's on stretch above and he's like what do you think there was like a roach ambulance like a roach ambulance like and i was like what and, and bob is so like like not even interested he's like what what are you talking about keith and then he's like moves on and you're like his mind is 
fascinating. That one snippet gave me such a window into this mind. And I don't know if you saw any of that when you were talking to him, but I, I you know, it's, it's, it's not that like, I mean, it's funny because I listened to some of the stuff that like is like he's come out with. There's like stuff that he's got that's coming out this year. And I've heard some advances oh, of some nice. of these records, some of these projects. One of the, he brought up like something in the in in our conversation about like he should be able to write about just going to pay the sprint bill and pay for his fo- his cell phone bill. Yeah, and like there's a track on this new project that's coming out next month called Heath Salon. Right, and I heard him drop a line about that, and I'm like, okay, so we did it. Wow, did it. wow, did it. yeah, I know he recorded this stuff in the past year for yeah. this record. And I'm like, oh, he did. He actually decided. He, I did rap about <laughs> going and, and, and paying my my cell phone bill. Like it's brilliant that yeah. he's doing that. Yeah. But you know, like, and obviously, like you know, with going kind of the stretch and Bob, it just like he goes back with those guys such a long way, and he goes back with Bob because the first on the first record that Fondle Fondle never put out was Senubites, which yeah. is a cool Keith project. So mm. like, he goes back to like because when I was doing, I when I wrote about this album for the newsletter. I kind of was trying to, to answer the question of kind of who came first, doom or doom. Yeah. You know, and, and the, and the answer ultimately is, is MF doom is the first, mm. but you're talking about a difference between a matter in terms of when the first MF doom material came out, which was also on Fondulum. Yes. Um, yeah. So like Cenobites is the first record. I forget where in the chronology, the first, like the gastrols, this one, which has gastrols. And, and I think there's like four songs in total on that that are there. But then when the first edition of, of Operation Doomsday comes out, I think it was a few months after, or maybe even just a month after the release of First Come, First Serve. So he kind of got in there with the first album with the Doom name. Yeah. Um, but obviously MF Doom as a name existed and, be, and he had to clearly know MF Doom existed yeah. being New York guys and also having been on the, on the, on the same label. Yeah. Time not too long before that. Is that coincidence? That must have been coincidence, right? Like, or, or he's clear. <laughs> Gary's face says it all. Yeah. So I don't think. <laughs> you think about these things, and you go like, in most cases, you'd go, "What a funny coincidence!" Because you're yeah. like a generation of kids who were raised on Marvel comics and the TV adaptations of mm. these things. The kids today who have the 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 big MCU movies, like they don't know what what. But the but like guys like Cool Keith are in their fifties, approaching sixties now. Like yeah. what they got on TV, like they don't yeah. know what I watched in the eighties. You know, Spider Man and his super friends or whatever. Like, <laughs> sort of thing. You know, we watched some real corny shit, but they drew from that. And obviously, you hear that on MF Doom records. Mm. It's him drawing from those records in a very cool way. Mm. Um, and like Ghostface Killer drawing from Iron Man, Iron Man yeah. or Supreme Clientele. Mm. Uh, Tony Stark still comes to that. So like coincidence, possibly. Because mm. there's a there's a similar pop cultural base yeah. that they pull from. But it's also like cool Keith playing a supervillain himself. Yeah. Could do it. Might be a fun thing to go and like swipe <laughs> someone's name a bit and just be that and be that character and yeah. change it by just being like, Well, you know, you're MF Doom, which is like playing on Doctor Doom. Well, mm. I'm Doctor Doom, but I'm gonna add one more O. Oh. <laughs> that's that makes all the difference. You have to think about the names, the naming conventions. Like, it, there's, there, it's, it's like you know, like Young Thug didn't call his like his 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 debut Barter Six yeah. for no reason. There's yeah. a reason yeah. why. He named yeah, it. absolutely. And yeah, it's like it's like it's wild when you when you think about it. Like, what record label Barter Six came out on? It's just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's little things there. Yeah, and so I fully, I could if 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 Cool Keith 
came out and said, oh, it was purely coincidence. And I grew up listening to watch these car mm. these cartoons and the roaches were all around me while I was trying to eat my breakfast cereal and yeah, yeah. watch these Dr. Doom cart, you know, Dr. Doom Fantastic Four cartoons. Like, that. Believe it. But if he also was just like yeah. <laughs> shrugged his shoulders, yeah. you know, I realize this is an audio podcast as well, yeah. shrugged his shoulders and said, mm. Mm, right? mm. then you'd be like, okay, he could also be playing yeah. playing a there too the ultimate but, yeah, villain the the he, he doesn't answer to anybody yeah to fucking anybody. and that's the ultimate villain move as well mf would have done it let's be honest daniel dumoulin might have done the same thing like it's one yeah. of the things yeah just a villainous thing to do yeah and it's that not was... like they they ended up having bad blood like they did it they did a collaboration on what of that that second victor vaughn record like uh, Vol- Vol- uh, not fordville uh, venomous venomous yeah I think yeah yeah. yeah they did a collab on there yeah and then they another one years later like on that feature magnetic project of keith's so like mm. it's not like they had any hard feelings i think between each other or yeah. at least if they did they quashed it before uh yeah before they were able to get that together I but love- it is funny that it came out it is funny that that first collab between them came out as a victor vaughn project yeah so the doom and the whole doom thing. I, it's, it wasn't king Ghidorah, exactly. and it wasn't M. So you weren't, you didn't, you, On we Doom. never really got the MF Doom, Dr. Doom thing, but we got Victor Vaughn and yeah. Cool Keith. So yeah. maybe that's the little girl on there. But that's, that's real rap nerd. That is real rap nerd shit. <laughs> this is, I'm sure people are here for it. People tune into this for, right? People tune into this because if you want to actually listen to a bunch of people talk, two guys talk about uh, a Cool Keith album for an hour, then you're a fucking rap nerd. And that's all it is. <laughs> yeah. You should love this. This you is rabbit holes. Yeah. Absolutely, Gary, man. This is it. I love it. So I think that's essentially what this is going to be. So, But I love that. I've not even thought about that. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. But like, we talk about rabbit holes, man. Like, you talk there about like other albums we've heard and we have hidden gems that we like on this uh, album and stuff like that. But rabbit holes, Ultraman TMCs, We Are the Horsemen. I remember hearing a few tracks off that and not really registering at that time. And I think I listened to it later. Just copious amounts of music when I was young. And then I listened back to it, man. And it's just unreal. And I'm like, this is the kind of little hidden gem album that um, I know now I'll just have in my rotation like for the rest of my life probably because it's just so good so I wanted to shout that out but also I'd never actually realised that but on Grandma's Boy Cool Keith has the tie-in to this and I was watching that for 420 listen to your podcast uh, sure. I was like this is great you did a great 420 episode for How High 2 uh, yep. listen to that and then uh, I thought I'm going to put on Grandma's Boy I don't watch it in years and I was like hold oh, no, on he's got a Cool Keith first come first serve tea on so yeah I love that all these rabbit holes man yeah we, we, we've definitely talked about doing a, a, a grandma's boy episode at some point and i have i have the perfect guest for it i can't say who it is because i'm not gonna let anybody out there snipe me for it it's not <laughs> keith but i have the <gasps> perfect episode i have the perfect guest for my grandma's boy episode okay Pop world, and i'm gonna keep it to myself but uh don't be surprised if we do if we we end up covering that one at some point okay uh, I think in the coming season or uh or soon thereafter Hey guys, this is Jerobi from A Tribe Called Quest. You're listening to The Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, yo, what's up, man? It's your man, Elzai, and you're rocking with The Crate 808 Podcast. You know what I'm saying? Where you can check out, you know, artists like me. Hey, it's Steve Rifkin from Loud Records. You're rocking with The Crate 808 Podcast. Spread the word. These guys are dope. The questions they ask and the interview is amazing. Enjoy yourself. Be safe and be healthy. One, two, one, two. You know what it is. This is your man, S-K-Y-Z-O-O, Skyzoo, live out the borough. And this is The Crate 808 Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share that love and put your peoples on. Peace and light. This is Cy Rock rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. And you want to check out everything hip hop on Crate808.com. Yo, this is Juggernaut, not in them city, NG area. 
You're rocking with the Create 808 podcast. Make sure you keep it locked in. There's so many gems drop. Create808.com. Hey, yo, this is the one and only R.A., the rugged man. And I'm rocking with the Create 808 podcast with my man Cam. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, you know what? Let's just get into that because I actually wanted to talk to you about, obviously, you know, this album, but also like the stuff you've been doing, man, and how I really got to into your stuff and it was always the newsletter to begin with but the podcast let's just quickly just want to break down for people who haven't heard gary's podcast please go check out cabbages from i would say genuinely from season one go from episode one because even if you don't like hubie halloween you're gonna end up having some memorable part of your heart like you there's space in my heart now for that film and i don't even like the film gary your first series was just you're not alone you're not alone as a lot of people most of my guests did not like that movie my co-host jeff yes. wonderful guy jeff Auckland does not like hubie halloween but you went and tackled it anyway for like seven episodes or so and that was great and then you went and did the leprechaun movies my friend and i know there's geeks this this who are horror geeks as well so they're going to be interested but tell me how did the pod start and then i'd love to talk about the newsletter as well but how did you even start with the pod what what was the what was the thinking so like for years people are like you should do a podcast Mm. and i said no and I've been like offered opportunities to do stuff. I've had people come to me and say, if you want to do a show and I'll put it on my network, I'll produce it. Or do you have ideas? Do you have things you want to do? Would you like to like host on this thing and whatnot? And the reason why I said no isn't just because I'm a prick, but it's because <laughs> it's because I was like, if I'm going to dedicate my time to doing a podcast, it has to be something that I think is a good enough idea, an interesting enough idea to carry through because otherwise I'm not vested. I'm not going to care about it. Yeah. And so like I looked, I look, I mean, by doing the newsletter, I was building up an audience of people who cared about this stuff, hmm. um, who cared about this music and cared about what's happening in the underground now, uh, especially, which was, which is really what, you know, it's a music discovery focused project. And I didn't just want the podcast to be a mirror of that, of like, here's us recommending things because like, I wrote it down for you. Yeah. I gave you, if you need me to also come onto a podcast and tell you, please listen to this artist, then I mean, how much more media literacy do people need? (laughs) So I needed to do something fun. Mm. And so here I am, it's fucking COVID. I live in New York. I can hear sirens out my window in the worst of this of this pandemic. You know, I'm not going anywhere. I don't do anything. So my friend Jeff and I are, you know, we're talking on like Zooms and, and things of that sort and just said like, uh, I have an idea. Hmm. And the idea was that let's do a podcast where we watch Hubie Halloween every week. And I love this. We bring on rappers mm. to talk with us about it. Amazing. That was the basic premise. And I said, if we do one episode, we can stop after one episode if we want to. We can stop after two. We As soon as we say, like, we are sick of this, we're done. Yeah. But what I and Jeff realized was, like, we enjoyed doing this. Mm. We enjoyed talking about movies and pop culture stuff with rappers. And what we learned, too, we had some great guests in that first season. Like, we yeah. had Michael Christmas on the first episode. We had Fat Tony on, and we had we talked to him about The Simpsons. You know, we've had great, amazing people on both the first and second seasons. And what we realized as we were doing the first season was the guests were thrilled. Mm. The guests were happy because most of the hip hop podcasts that are out there, and I'm not saying this as a slight to anybody in particular, but rather to everybody, is that most of these artists who go on these shows 
have a finite list of things they're meant to talk about. Yeah. Unless you have like a real career in which you might be able to speak about something a little more interesting, you're locked into this stuff. And then for independent artists, especially, it sometimes it's harder to get beyond those molds. Yeah. So we gave them a show and said, you just want to just talk some about something that isn't music with us. You just want to talk about yeah. a movie with us. And that's how the leprechaun season kind of came about. Like this was Jeff's idea. I'll give Jeff credit for that. Like, it's like, let's just watch this series of films that has in the latter part of it, a hip hop tie-in. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the films that were in the hood allow for, you know, ice T stars in one is one of the co-stars in one of them. Mm. And then sticky fingers has a cameo in kind of like, you know, he is a cameo performance in the, the sixth film. So it was like, okay, it films, it feels thematically worth doing. And then we said, okay, we're talking about a different movie every episode, but it's one in the series. And we drew people in because it was just like a novel idea to them because it's just the same way that I don't want to talk about music with other music journalists when I'm not working. Mm. I don't want to talk about music criticism. And I don't want to do this endlessly because I, I want to do, I spend so much of my time focused on it. Yeah. Artists, there's a part of these artists who do want to talk about their craft. Yeah. And I give them space to do that in the newsletter when I do interviews for the newsletter. But mm. if I can just give you a podcast where you can just just smoke weed <laughs> and yeah. and talk about a fucking leprechaun being in space, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for an hour, that is a pretty pretty good proposition. Absolutely. Where's the big money, man? Like, if you come in with that pitch, we're going to do an episode with the mere blade on Nicolas Cage. Yes. Yeah. That okay. The- that's fine. Like, okay, here's, here's five grand. Go do that. Like, where, where is that? Where is that? Money? Yeah, uh, but yeah, well, uh, well, I look, there's no, look, there's no mo- as, as we both know, there's no money in podcasting. And yeah, so that's, yeah, just, yeah, so that's what I don't, I don't do the podcast for money. I do for it because sure. it's fun. My friend and I like that it's an ancillary to what we're doing mm. in the newsletter, which is a place where I do make money. And the reality is like, there are things that I want to do and I do want to grow this podcast network. And there's some stuff in motion that will make that happen, but I'm not looking at, at this as a, you know, I need to sell ads and I need to, you know, like actually what we, we, we incorporated ads into the season and really all they were was we asked somebody who wanted to advertise their podcast and said, can you throw 50 bucks at a food bank mm-hmm. here and we'll match you. Yeah. That was what we asked you to pay. That's what we asked you to pay for an advertisement. Like yeah. let's raise some money for people in need. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, the communities that we are in, you know, mm. Jeff is in Brooklyn, I'm in Queens. And like, that was, that was our mentality. Cause I'm not trying to like nickel and dime somebody to go on and, and, you know, yeah. give me money just so they have access to my audience. It's antithetical to what I've been trying to do. Like mm. I'm not looking for a venture capitalist to buy cabbages. I'm looking <laughs> for, I'm looking for readers and consumers to subscribe, pay their $7 a month mm. and be a, a, a a reader supported bench. That's where I want it to be. I don't want to be beholden to advertisers. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be beholden to readers who care about what we're doing. Yeah. And, what, and when I say we, I mean, other than the podcast, me, I'm just, this is me myself in this room doing exactly that. It's a fascinating place to be at the moment. I feel, I don't really know where the future for any of this, for the newsletters or podcasts is going to go and you can predict all you want, but for you at the moment, are you happy doing it then? Are you quite happy doing it? Cause it feels like quite a good space to be in, right? Not to be beholden to anyone is a, is a big thing. I feel. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's funny because over the, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. Not the newsletter, but I've been writing about music for a long time. I'm in my second decade of doing this now, and I'm in a good place where I've written, I've gotten some, I've been lucky enough 
to get into some really good places. I've had bylines in pretty much every publication I've ever wanted to be in and some that I have never wanted to be in, which is which was just kind of nice to have. To be able to kind of work outside of the pitching process is nice because when I first started, I had a lot of freedom, partially because I wasn't getting paid. Yeah. It's like, write what you want, create content. Yeah. Before we called it content creation, I would write reviews and I've always, I, I was a critic first and that's always how my brain works and how mm. I approach things now. And then I started writing about hip hop at the quietest in like 2013, I think, mm. uh, maybe 2012. And where I had pretty much carte blanche, where it was like, I had a column once a month mm. and I could basically write about whatever I wanted to write about in the column. And it was like, I want to write about hip hop. And like, it was like, it was within the realm of hip hop mm-hmm. and generally focused on American hip hop. And like, that was really where, where it was. And I loved that freedom. And I couldn't pitch that column today to any publication if I tried. That the landscape has shrunk. Mm. The aspects of, of how you monetize have changed. Every hip hop blog is fucking terrible uh, and writes about the same shit. Mm. It's fucking boring. Mm. It's like, I'm not competing with them. Cabbages is not, I'm not competing with complex. Mm-mm-mm. I'm not competing with hip hop DX. Mm. I'm not even competing with like even smaller hip hop blogs. I'm mm. not competing with them. I'm doing something that Maybe. I recognize doesn't exist anymore in the market, yeah. which is a, a music discovery based publication that has a tone of voice to it. Yeah. That isn't just press release regurgitation. You, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you're going to get my opinion on some shit. Mm. You might disagree with it. I wrote a piece last year, a pretty lengthy piece of like why I've never fucked with Run the Jewels. Mm. For a lot of people, that makes their tiny little heads explode. And they go, <laughs> how could you not pray at the altar of Killer Mike and LP? And I'll be like, well, I never was a huge Def Jux fan. I had some records that I really liked. I think the fucking Can Ox record is amazing. Mm. And, you know, and I think that I, I respect, you know, LP's work on Fantastic Damage. And but it's not like I sit here, you know, with my backpack on, like hoping for a revival of this shit. Yeah. No. Actually, at that time, I was way happier to listen to a combination of weird stuff, RZA as as uh, as Bobby Digital, yeah, or some anti-pop consortium uh, and stuff like that. And then what was on the radio. I was very happy that it was on the radio, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so for me, it's gratifying to do the newsletter and I'm enjoying doing it because I have this freedom, but also I see that people care about it mm. and enjoy it. I see the numbers and I get, also I get nice feedback from people, but the artists who get covered in there mm. are artists who aren't going to get that complex look. Or if they get that complex look, it's going to be the last time they get it because it's not going to do the numbers that are going to make complex want to go back to that artist. And I'm saying, I'm not trying to do Drake numbers Mm. on a blog post. If a few hundred people listen to my podcast, I'm thrilled. That's great. Thank you for listening to my show. Thank you for listening to us talk fucking nonsense (laughs) while my guest and my co-host are doing fucking bong rips. (laughs) I edit the show. I edit the podcast. So I leave all those sounds in because fuck (laughs) you. You, if you're here for this, you need to hear what's actually going on in the in the room. Like, we're not in the same room. We're all distance. We're all in our different yeah, spaces. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Queens. He's in Brooklyn. Our guests are wherever they're coming from. Yeah. Like, I want you to fucking hear what's happening. It's like I respect. I respect a lot of what they do on Drink Champs, mm. even though I know placement stuff like i respect what they do on drink champs mm. not just because they bring on great guests and have great conversations but just like a bunch of bottles on the table it's yeah. just like that's the reality of what like yeah, the yeah. conversation would be and yeah. ours is just like there's there's you know there's there's a bottle of hennessy probably over by me mm. there's something else going on I, you know to tie it back into this this album mm. you know it's just like 
I think that's one of the things that I respect about Cool Keith is he's just not with the bullshit. Yeah. And I'm I'm happy to like yeah. look to him as a guy and be like, great, I'm not with the bullshit either. I yeah. respect what you do. Even if I don't like every record he's ever, if I don't love every record he's ever done, and even if you as a reader don't necessarily love every newsletter I've ever done or every album I've ever recommended you in the newsletter, mm. like for the most part, you're going to respect me because 100%. I am doing something that's not answering to this fucking industry. Yeah. But on that though, Gary, on that, when you just tied it into this album on another level as well, this is coming from a level of someone who discovered your work just through podcasts or whatever. When I think of what you've said as music discovery, this album I discovered via the cover mainly as an advert and yeah. thinking that I've lost that now. When I have everything now, I want to listen to, I need some curation and Spotify playlists are not it. And I'm sorry, but the person who's curating those playlists isn't me. So I then want somewhere to find this music, right? But then man, when I discover your newsletter and I see stuff like Fatboy Sharif, Torito, who I'd never heard before, I'd never heard these people. Who are mm. these? And you recommend three every like week or so or every other newsletter. Every Sunday. Every, every Sunday, Sunday, that's it. That's it. Every Sunday. And I've made, not just made like brilliant projects I'd love to listen to, but I've made these bonds with these artists just online. MF Blue, that was another one that was recommended for me. So so listeners, if you are in the mode of, if you like, your, you should like that Cool Keith album if you listen to this anyway, but there are so many artists who are pushing the boundaries to what you can do with this art form like Keith was in these newsletters. So yeah, Cabbages, just for that alone, man, you've done it. Your job you wanted to do is being done. The music discovery is right there, man. Um, Thank you. Yo, what up, y'all? This is DJ Premier, and you're checking out the Crates 808 podcast. I put an S on it because there's more than one record in the crate. You know what I'm saying? So that's how we dig. That's how we play. And that's what real DJs do. You heard? That's why it goes down. We out here. Uh, but Gary, I was going to say, actually, then, we can't not talk about this album cover before we go. because. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, because yeah. now we go back to when this album came out. Mm -hmm. Here, Cool Keith is railing against the industry, and it's also an interesting time in the industry. Yeah, where the South is starting to rise mm -hmm. beyond the coastal supremacy that existed in hip hop for the longest time. The South always thrived in mm -hmm. the South. You talk to artists from from Memphis, you talk to artists from Houston, you talk to these rappers and producers, and they'll tell you what it was like in the 90s. And they'll tell you how artists came from New York and LA to steal their swag or to, you know, to try to get some essence from each of them. Mm -hmm. But by like 1999, we're talking no limit. Yeah. We're talking Master P, we're talking uh cash money, mm. we're talking like Three six maybe as well. Maybe well three six yeah for sure three six for sure mm. you know but like getting into the mainstream consciousness selling records through the through stores and then setting up distribution deals with major labels and like absolutely blowing up in these other markets in these northern markets so Keith going and making having a cover made by Pen and Pixel. Yeah. At least according to the credits, I, I, I I'm willing to again because I I know that we could be trolled in the credits on the actual album. He credits the cover artwork to Pen and Pixel, who did all those Master P covers, yeah. did a lot of all that stuff, like for all those artists, those classic things. Yeah. Who did that stuff because it's got the name of the public, it's got the name and it's got their phone number. It's got Pen and Pixel and the phone number on Brilliant. there. Brilliant. That makes me feel reassured that it actually is them because yeah. it's not just a parody of what Pen and Pixel was doing. No. It was almost self-parody of it. Mm. And it, even more so than that, 
It was a subversion of, of what those things were trying to do. Cool Keith has a rat burger in his hand. There is a giant roach on one side of him and a gorilla on the other side of him. <laughs> I, I think- and in the middle is Cool Keith holding the rat burger at you. Now, in today's, in today's you know, music culture where you're looking at Spotify or even Bandcamp, like you're squinting yeah. at a little square on your screen. But if you walked into a cool record store in a good city, in a city that had, had like a scene that could support a good record store, and you walk past that, you stopped. Because yeah. you're like, is that, what the <laughs> fuck is that? Even if you had no idea who Cool Keith was, yeah. you understood the pen and pixel aesthetic because it existed. Yes. And whether you fucked with what Master P was doing or not is irrelevant. You understood that aesthetic. And mm. he hit right there with the strangest fucking version of that. Yeah. And there's been other versions of pen and pixel covers that are funny and yeah. feel like parody, but yeah. nothing, nothing tops how grotesque and hilarious and perfect yeah. that cover was. Yeah. Nothing. It's uh, the best. I, I love that. It's one of my favorite covers of all time. It's not even, it's the fact that it's almost like a pastiche. It's almost like they just stuck it on. Like that, that cockroach is no subtlety. It's just, I'm just chilling right here. It's so abrupt. I think it just, uh, just uh, disorderly. It's so disorderly. I love it. But then a lot of this album is disorderly, man. Like, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. I run rap where he talks about, uh, I watch girls in the shower. That, that, yeah. that's got nothing to do with what, like, I was yeah. thinking of like, this is so disjointed. Like, so you, hold on, but you're running rap, but you're watching girls in the shower. That's because you, but yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, you can go down those holes all you want, but yeah, that's there's, crazy. There's the thing, the thing that really we talk about how disjointed this album is, it's because it's not one concept. It's very easy because yeah. he uses a, a, a pseudonym to kind mm. of be like, well, this is his horrorcore album, and it's like, yes, some of the songs are exactly that. There mm. are songs where he talks about the graphic, grisly, absurdity stuff, and you love it, yeah, and you admire it, but then it's just like, to me, like when you, a hidden gem on the record for me mm. is Welfare Love. Because Welfare of Love is about as autobiographical as we ever get from Cool Keith. Okay. He's talking about being what it was like as a kid, yeah. growing up as a kid in the Bronx, yeah. growing up in not nothing near luxury housing, rodents being a problem. So when he tells a story on Stretch and Bob mm. about pulling the legs off roaches, mm. it's just like, because that was what was happening. That was what was around him. Yeah. Like you grow up with that shit. Like if you've grown up, in the in in new york you experienced some of these things in one way or another and for some mm. people they experienced it in a in a very very real way mm. but welfare love plays up not just the idea of being a broke kid but also brings into his more his you know his adolescent and now adult obsessions with pornography yeah and that's you know and that's something that we're getting this kind of this this synthesis mm. of of who cool keith is mm. as he grew up under these circumstances, and then when he was given the opportunity to be an artist and to make some kind of money off of it, and this is something that, that Cutmaster Kurt talks about as well, is that Keith would spend would like would spend advance money on pornography. Yeah, and he would spend, and when they were just like before they had anything really, they would just he would just constantly spend hours in porn shops in New York City or in LA. You know, when they did this record, I think he was out. In, they recorded this one in Santa Monica, mm -hmm. so he was already out in, in California by that stage. But like 
these were his interests. This is who he was. Mm. And so like, it's just so funny when you think about how people define him by Octagon or when they look at a project like this, they go, it's a horrorcore project. It's actually not. Mm. It's disjointed because it's a lot of ideas being thrown into one project. Again, as a fuck you to Roughhouse, Columbia, Sony for sitting on Black Elvis, which he recorded in like 97, 98. And basically apparently the story goes that they, they basically brought first come first serve to Sony and said, like, mm. what are you going to do? We're going to put this, we're going to put this out. Yeah. We're not going to, we're going to put this out. And they were like, well, it's under a different name. So it doesn't like, we're not going to yeah. make a thing. We're not going to make a big deal about it, but it's just like, oh shit, this is like disgusting. Yeah. Like, yeah. And look, there's stuff on this record that's, 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 you know, that has aged horribly. There's yeah. homophobic stuff on here, mm. which, you know, has, has not exactly gone entirely away in his work over the years. Like mm. it's a, it's a regrettable aspect of it, but it also is thinking mm. about generational that's again not making excuses mm. but recognizing that there's some of the stuff on this on this album that ages badly because it's cringeworthy to be like oh yeah, yeah you really like you really were using gay as an insult and homo as an insult and yeah using, like, using the f word and all things like that you really yeah. were like being being terrible mm. in how you were conveying that and mm. this is also where it gets where i bring up the m&m thing is it's just like you know, I'm not an Eminem fan, and I I really I really dislike him in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, certainly, as, as in terms of what he did, because I feel like he used his space and he used his privilege to punch down a lot, mm. and that happened in his work. And there's this homophobia latent in a lot of those records that people call classics. Mm. And I mean, that, that's unfortunately the the lot that we're in with uh, with being hip hop fans is that some of our favorites are going to include some pretty uh, terrible, awkward moments that we can't justify. Yeah. Other- well, it was like that at the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, here we are in this time, and there's still that. So I think, mm. you know, not to not to really go off on on that tangent too far because mm. we are celebrating a record. But it's like I don't want anybody who checks us out out of curiosity to put on this record and not be prepared for yeah. that. I think in 1999, we sort of we weren't we weren't attuned to it. We were mm. shitty. We we're mm. shitty people. 1999. We did not understand how awful we were being. Yeah, by donating this, by supporting this, by cheering on artists who did this sort of stuff, right? that, that mm. homophobic shit in there. So I don't want anybody today to go into this record and think, "Oh wow, these guys are really—they're—they're they're really recommending this. I should definitely go check this out. It sounds yeah. like fun." And then, like within like a couple of songs, be like, "Oh, yeah, well, then maybe it's for me." So I want people to understand that. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's with all this stuff. Like, it's like when DMX passed recently, it's like, mm. I went back to some of his work. It's, and it's really like, hard to listen to some of that. There's some stuff that's really hard to listen to. Mm. And, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not here to speak ill of the dead. You know, it's, it's isn't like, I, and you know, so I'm not doing that. I, I, there are plenty of times where I've used my soapbox to, to do exactly that. Triple X, I've said some things in The Guardian that make very clear where I stand on, on him after his passing. But the reality uh, is that a lot of these artists who we love, revere, and respect use their artistic platforms to punch down. There's there's reasons for that, but I just don't want anybody to approach these projects now and not understand that there are aspects of it that actually aren't okay. Yeah. That actually aren't it's a reactionary thing as well a lot of it like i feel like there's even bits where he's going at dan the automator and it's like just racist <laughs> it's just like yeah. that's really hard to listen to yeah, that really stuck out to me as well and i didn't i don't know again it's you like you said you can reason and talk about this situation why it's like that but i'm glad that you brought that up man because i feel like there are people younger people as well who listen to these podcasts and they're going back to these albums and just as a yeah caveat to all this stuff a lot of it is problematic a lot of it is yeah. and yeah absolutely man leave me alone is one of the best 
best songs on the album. Mm. And it's, it's such a great, it's, it's another autobiographical thing where he's really speaking about his place in the industry and his frustration with yeah. it. But like, then there's stuff about like, he brings up like Chinaman. Yeah. Like the, brings yeah. up shit in that song. We just go like, you lose me now. But the argument is, would you have lost 20 year old me then? Exactly. For saying that? Yeah. And that's what's fucked up. That's yeah. what's fucked up is recognizing that that was of its time and that it was of like a sophomoric mindset as mm. a child, as a kid, mm. you know, barely, you know, not even old enough to drink in the US. You guys have it easy over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we accepted things that we shouldn't have. Mm. And I think as we deify these artists in life, which is when we should, mm. and after they pass, mm. as has been the case, you know, Mm. Uh, especially of, of late, we have to think about these things. Mm. We can't ignore the fact that, like, there's some stuff on that Black Rob record that we did yes. does not age very well. Yeah, it, like it's just it's just what's there. So, like, mm. recognizing recognizing that going into this, you know, I think mm. that we need to tell everybody's stories, and I think we need to do that. But I think we also have to provide the as 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 journalists podcasters, however you want to categorize yourself mm. within this media system, if we're going to shine a light on the stuff that we like and advocate for it and celebrate it and provide knowledge about it, yeah. we also have to be transparent in what these are yeah. and where they came from. And at times go deeper into why, why they are the way. Exactly. They are. Yeah. yeah. Having a bad experience with Dan, the automator or being resentful of Dan, the automator should not lead you to be slurring on the record, mm. but here we go. And it's like, it's not as if like, oh, it's just of its time. Like there's Wiz Khalifa records from six years ago where he's talking about eyes Chinese. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you still don't get that. That's kind of fucked up, man. Yeah, you still don't yeah. fucking get that's kind of shitty. Mm. Or like for me, you know, as a Latino, it's just like, I go, all right. I listen to some of the shit that comes out with these, with these artists where if it's like every fucking these non-Latin artists talking about, talking about stuff in their lyrics, about Latin culture in their lyrics, you know, and it's just like taco burrito bullshit still. Or yeah. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Like there's still a lot of this like stuff. And it's just like, you go like, what the fuck? Do you think, do you think it's getting to a place where it's getting a bit more money? I don't know if it's just me, but I'm, I'm not hearing it as much, but maybe it's the artists I'm listening to. I don't know. I, I don't know actually. Cause rap Ferrara, I'm listening to that. I'm listening to Arm and Hammer. I don't hear it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me, but I don't know if it's getting easier on the top level, like, you know, the most commercial level. What is it? Cause I think that's what kids listen to early, right? Is the commercial yeah, sure. stuff. So I don't there's know if it's lot, getting better or what. More but. There's more pushback now. I think the difference is there's more mm. pushback and unfortunately it gets all tangled up into people's perceptions of what it means to be woke or canceled. And yeah. I mean, honestly, I think we have such a tenuous grasp of both of those terms that, and they've been weaponized in such ugly ways that it just mm. like, somebody will, will say either in the comments of, of, of this show or whatnot, that like by us calling out Keith on some homophobic stuff mm. that we're trying to cancel them or that we're be, or just yeah, trying to be yeah. performatively woke. Mm. And it's like, first of all, go fuck yourself and listen to something else. Cause I don't, <laughs> fucking need your, I don't need your time or your money. If that's how you fucking think. But the other is like, no, we have to talk about the realities yeah. of this thing. You know, mm. we have to talk about the fucked up shit as well, because like mm. these aren't saints. We're not asking them to be saints. Exactly. These aren't role models. We're not asking them to be role models. Exactly. But if we're going to talk about art, yeah. if we're gonna talk about this music with a level of respect and understanding for it as art, then mm. we have to be talking about the entire thing, not mm. just the stuff that's easy to talk about. Yeah. You know, I'm glad the conversation we've been having isn't about like, oh, isn't cool Keith funny? You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 Like I can't fathom some of the ways in which. Like, I hate cool Keith fans. 
And for all of you listening, I fucking hate you people. You want to hate Corky fans because yeah. you want him to be something that he's not. Okay. Want him to be something he was, all, he was on a record 25 years ago. And I assure you, Cool Keith hates you too. He'll take your money, gladly. But he fucking hates you too. <laughs> what, a, what a way to end this, Gary. I can't think of a better way to end this. But you know what, though? I'm not even going to try to be like, make that like any lighter than it should. That should land quite heavy for people, I feel, what you yeah. said. Because I feel, and, it's, and I, do you know what? I've got a lot more hope in my heart now after he hearing this podcast. We've been doing this for two years now. And mm. you know what? There's more people like us in the hip hop than there are the 90s Timberland backpack crew who won't listen to anything else or who do, you know, oh, the Elton John skits on on Eminem's albums and stuff. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine because you perform with him. Okay, no, that's a conversation. That's not a, you know, we should really talk about that whole situation. But that's what I'm saying. I, I do feel there's a bit more underlying and I hope people are willing to change and, and really hold these artists. We hold them up so high. I want to give them flowers. But yeah, let's really, really recognise where they're coming from and what they're saying, you know, and, and how it lands, really. So yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that we need to go and lambast an artist for what they did 25 years ago and hold it over their head forever. Absolutely. I'm saying if we are going to talk about this stuff mm. in a serious way mm. and, and, and shine light on their work, then we have to actually shine light on the entirety of that work. Yeah, absolutely. man. This is an album that is funny. This is an album that is challenging. This is an album that is problematic. This is an album that is autobiographical in places. Mm. And if anything else, this album is enjoyable. Yeah, it's an hour. Oh, yeah. It's an hour of your of your time that you will enjoy. Yeah, most likely, yeah. you will enjoy hearing it. You will enjoy the punchlines. You yeah. will enjoy the production. Mm -hmm. You'll enjoy it on some level, probably. And if you don't, that's fine because mm. he's got like three dozen other albums for you to listen to. <laughs> you can yeah. try again. Yeah, yeah. This might not be the one for you. Yeah, absolutely. I talked about it earlier, his trajectory, his just trajectory of, of art is fascinating. It's a fascinating artist to even just talk about with you. And I'm glad I got to do this, man, because I feel like there are actual artists in this in this craft and machine. Sometimes it feels like a bit of a machine. I'll be honest, yeah. as a listener. So it's quite nice that there are these people. And, and again, Gary, uh, just to reiterate a point I said earlier, I'm glad that you're highlighting more of these as we grow older, because it's just nice to see people out there doing this, this work and yeah, just expressing themselves in new and fresh ways, man. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So yeah. yeah no, it's fantastic to hear. Honestly, it's fantastic to hear the artists that are doing interesting things. Now the younger artists who are building mm. and doing it in such a creative way. Like, you know, like there's the Mims the Magnificent and Dunn have a mm. record out called Infinite Lawn, which I read about recently in the newsletter. Mm. Like fantastic, two guys, I think from, from Harlem and the Bronx doing amazing things. And I, ha I can't help but think about them in the context of the music that's come from their neighborhoods yeah. over the years. And I just go like, we're still getting really gripping, interesting, entertaining art from these hip hop artists from generations now. And I, I, I think that's fantastic. Beautiful. And I think, I think the genre just grows in that way. And I think it's mm. easy to get jaded and say like, oh, you know, everything on the radio sucks. And like everything that I get fed from the algorithm sucks. And mm -hmm. like, I'm so tired. I was like, you can be in your forties. And I'm telling you, there's some, some, some guys in their twenties who are going to blow your fucking mind. Absolutely. And you're going to want to hear them. And they're not going to blow your mind because they sound like Talib Kweli. Yeah. They're not going to blow your mind because they sound like rappers you used to listen to. Yeah. They're doing it their own way and they're interesting mm. and they're making great music. Yeah, man. Big up, man. Big up. Beautiful. Well, Gary, man, thank you for coming on. 
Thanks for having me. Before we leave then, I have to ask you for what I ask everyone. What's the, and it could be old, could be new. This doesn't have to be like a new song or anything, but what's the last great piece of music you heard like recently where you were like, damn, that's amazing. Well, that Mims and, and Dunn record is, is definitely it. Okay. I right. mean, I, I think that's a fantastic example mm. of great music that's happening right now. A lot of people get, have been giving me credit for blue and Spanish ran the MF blue record. And I'm like, if you rocked with that record, Mm. listen to me on Mims and Dunn. Mims and Dunn, Infinite Lawn. Mm. It's on Bandcamp. It's on all the streaming platforms. Go and listen to it and thank me later. Wicked. Wicked. Love that. Well, Gary, thank you, man. Everyone check out Cabbages. All the details will be in the bio and all that. And uh, yeah, until the next time, man, doors are always open. And yeah, just keep smashing it, man. Just keep doing your thing, smashing it. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Peace. (laughs) 